We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. We are in a series called The Shadows of Christmas, and this series is really uh, all about helping us understand um, that there's uh, a lot of smaller stories throughout the Bible, but those smaller stories are really telling a greater story. And so as you read through the Old Testament, you see various uh, stories and characters. Many of them serve as what we call shadows or uh, illustrations of a greater reality that's going to be found in Christ. And so uh, throughout the Old Testament, you'll see these characters, you'll see kings and, and, and different moments of deliverance and different people showing up on the scene. And, and as you read their story, you begin to understand their story is telling a bigger story. And so for many in the Old Testament, they would see these signs and these shadows and they would begin to long and wait and anticipate the coming of Christ. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the reality that the greater um, fulfillment of all of those smaller stories has come. The reason we call Christmas at times Advent is because Advent simply means the arrival, the arrival. And so what we're celebrating is the arrival of a long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment, the substance behind all of the shadows. And so for centuries and decades, the prophets and the writers would tell the stories, and then there would be this longing and waiting of when the greater king is going to come, when the greater sacrifice is going to show up, when the greater king is going to uh, arrive, when uh, the greater Adam is going to set things right. And for centuries and centuries and, and year after year, they waited until that moment in Bethlehem when Jesus shows up on the scene. And this is what we celebrate during the holiday season. How many of you know this is the greatest season of the year? Any people here just love Christmas? This is like your, your, this is your time of the year. Some of you, listen, I'm praying against the spirit of Grinch. I'm hoping it leaves this place immediately. But I know some of you are like me. You get giddy over it the greatest time of the year. And the reason it's the greatest time of the year is because of what we're talking about in this series, the, the arrival of our Messiah. So grab your Bibles if you would. We're going to jump in to Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to see this morning Jesus as the greater deliverer. Jesus as the greater deliverer. How many of you suffer from a condition that I suffer from called claustrophobia? Anybody here claustrophobic in the room? Uh, I, I, I literally, I cannot stand tight spaces. I cannot stand to be confined into little small areas. Like I will lose my ever-loving mind. A couple of weeks ago, I was on an airplane. Well, Pastor Daniel was with me. We were at a conference and we were flying back and we were on a small airplane. So I don't like small airplanes, so I, I sit down, and I'm between two people, so I'm already feeling it. There's no air conditioning on, so it's hot, and we're sitting there, and then they make the announcement that, hey, we're going to be delayed. It looks like 45 minutes to an hour, but we cannot let you off the plane because we're already out uh, toward the runway. And I'm telling you, I had a full-blown panic attack right there in my seat. I started sweating, I mean, hyperventilating, visualizing myself being the guy that, like, after five minutes, I can't take it anymore, and I'm running out of this plane, and then they tackle me, and somebody with their iPhone's capturing it. And then I show up and you fire me because I'm that guy, right? This is what's going through my mind. And Daniel's looking at me and I'm sweating profusely. And he's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I can't take it. Then he started panicking because he started feeling it. And I can trace back where that, that thing, that condition started in my life. It started at my cousin Jeff's house. When I was little, about 9 or 10 years old, I remember being at the, the, my, my cousin's house playing a game of hide and seek. And I found the place. I found the greatest hiding place ever. It's in the guest bathroom. There was a clothes hamper in there. And so I climbed in the clothes hamper, and my cousins, who were bigger than me and older than me, thought it would be great. Let's just sit on the thing and trap little Todd in there. You should feel sorry for me. I was like, 100, I was, I was like 48 pounds, rather, soaking wet. And I'm, I'm in there. These, these teenagers were on it. And I'm telling you, I ripped that basket apart. I'm telling you, I came unglued. And from that moment forward, man, if you put me in a tight space, man, I will do anything I can to get out of there. Anybody with me on that? So, so here's the thing. None of us, if you were, we're honest in this room, none of us in this room like to be confined. Like, we don't like to feel trapped, right? 
What we want, oftentimes when we're in those moments, we just want to get out of the circumstances, out of the situation, out of the moment, because we don't like to be restricted. What we're going to see in the story this morning is the story of Exodus. In the story of Exodus, what you find is a group of people who are trapped, they are confined, they are held for 400 years, the Scripture tells us. The story goes is that Abraham, as he receives a promise from God that he would be a great nation and God was going to give him this great land, as time went on, finally, as as Pastor Daniel talked about last week, God gave uh, Abraham a son, and that son had two sons. And one of those sons, Jacob, had 12 sons. And so you begin to see, as time went on, the promise that God made to Abraham come to fruition. But something went wrong in the family of Jacob. The youngest brother, Joseph, was sold into slavery. He was sold into slavery into Egypt. And there he was there as a slave in Egypt. God was, was doing something that Joseph didn't see, that Jacob's, brothers didn't, Jacob's sons didn't see, is that God was going to use this slavery to bring about a moment of deliverance. See, a, a famine was coming into the land, and God, people would have been wiped out by this famine, but God used the evil intentions of Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery as a way to deliver them from this famine. And so eventually Joseph's brothers come and they show up in Egypt and all is well, except for when Pharaoh, the leader of that nation dies, he forgets about Joseph. Joseph then um, goes to his grave and the people of God there in Egypt become slaves for hundreds of years, 400 years in fact. Decade after decade, century after century, there they were, confined, trapped, in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. And they worked, they labored, they toiled, they sweat, and nothing they could do would ever free them from the bondage and slavery that they were in. It was complete and utter oppression. Just imagine this for a moment. For 420 years, and you're working, and you're laboring, and you're toiling, and you're building, and you're going through everything you can do to say, maybe if we get this accomplished, they'll let us go, but only to find yourself in deeper slavery, greater oppression, overwhelming despair begin to set in on the people of God. I want you to think about what you would feel if you were in that situation. And here's what we know. Here's what we know. We know that that story of Exodus, the, the bondage and slavery of God's people in Egypt, really is a little story telling a bigger story. You see, it serves as an illustration for what the human race is in and the condition that we are in because of our sin, that we are held captive now by the dominion of darkness, by the God of this world. The Scripture says that we are captive to sin and death, and it reigns because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. So this story in Egypt of God's people in bondage is really telling a greater story of our spiritual condition, that we are slaves to sin. We are under the dominion of darkness. And no matter what we do, how hard we work, what we strive for, what we accomplish, what we build, what we create, how hard we worship. There's nothing we can do to change our conditions. We we are trapped and we are in bondage and slavery and there's nothing we can do to change our condition. And just like the Israelites trapped in Egypt, what they needed was a deliverer and what you and I need is a deliverer. And so here's what I want you to see this morning as we go through this story. I want you to, to get this. The story of the Exodus. I want you to see this. The story of the Exodus is this true story of God's deliverance of his people from the power of the Egyptian slavery through Moses and serves, so don't miss this, so that's the story, and it serves as a sign for the greater exodus or deliverance that God has provided for humanity from the power of sin and death through Jesus. So as we see this story, it's a a true story, but it's a smaller story that serves as an illustration or a sign for a greater story of what Jesus would accomplish for us. Let's jump in and let's see this story and see where we fit in and what Christ has done for us. Exodus chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land uh, in which they lived as sojourners. Now, don't miss verse number five. He says, and he says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And listen to this. And I have remembered my covenant. 
Now here's what happens here. Don't, don't miss this. 420 years of bondage and slavery, of working and toiling and laboring, and nothing they could do could ever get them free from the slavery they are in. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a deliverer, Moses, shows up on the scene, and he delivers a message. And the message is, I have heard the groanings of my people, and I have remembered my promises. Church, I don't want you to miss this this morning. For some of you in this place, your life feels like it's just one big groaning, just this, this one big season of your life where it is failure after failure, sorrow after sorrow, brokenness after brokenness, and there's this groaning in your heart. And some of you in this room may be wondering, does God even hear this? Does God even know where I am? And God gives all these promises in his word. Does he even remember those promises? And here's what I want us to, you to know this morning. I want us to see together today. Listen, God is not blind to the brokenness of our life in this world. God is not ignorant to the circumstances that we face, to the struggles that we're in, to the slavery of this broken world system that we're a part of. He is not blind to it. He is not ignorant of it. He is aware of it. And listen, and he is not deaf to the groanings of your heart. He hears them. And listen, and he is not going to break his promises. He remembers his promises and he shows up on the scene to tell the people, I hear your groanings and I'm going to remember my promises and deliverance is here and I'm going to make a way for you to find the freedom that you're looking for. Some of you in this room, you're wondering, where is God and all the brokenness, the, the brokenness of this world? And listen, none of us in this room can deny that the world is broken. We feel it. We see it. We smell it. It's all around us. We know something is wrong and for many of us, it leaves us wondering, where is God in the mess? And I'm here to tell you, listen, he hears the groaning and he remembers his promises. But God is not absent. He is present. So what is he going to do? He sends a message to the people. Listen to this message. I want you to see this. Verse 6, Moses goes and finds the people. They're in despair. And this is what he says. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel. I love this. I am the Lord I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, uh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring, in you, bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I love this. He shows up, and what a great message this is. It's a message of hope. It's a message of healing. It's a message of deliverance. And there are two big truths that I want us to see in these passages this morning, and they're going to serve us throughout the morning. We're going to come back to them a little later and see how Christ brings these same two truths into our lives. But here are the two big truths I want you to see. The first is found in just the language that he uses here. I want you to see again in those verses the language that God uses in this message. He says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I am the Lord. I will bring you into. I will give it. I am the Lord. Do you think there's a message here? Here's truth number one. Write this down. This is what we need to see. This is what God wants us to know about the bondage that we live in. And it's simply this. God alone is the source of spiritual freedom. God alone is the source of spiritual freedom. God wanted them to know that what they were unable to do, that he was more than able to do. He says, I am the Lord. I'm going to do this. You are powerless. You are hopeless. You are helpless. But I am all powerful and I usher in hope and I usher in help. You see, these people were unable to overthrow the, the struggle that they were in, to overthrow the bondage that they lived in, to get out of the slavery. Nothing they could do could change their status or their situation, but what they were unable to do, God was about to do on their behalf. It would be by his strength and his might and his grace that they would find the freedom that they were longing for. Now listen to me, this the same is true for us spiritually. Here's what we need to know. Far too many of us think that we have to overcome our own struggles and our own issues. We have to clean ourselves up. we got to break the power of sin in our own lives by our own strength and our own power. And when we live like this, here's what we all know. This only leads to greater failure, greater fear, and greater suffering. 
When we think, man, I've got to right the wrong. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to break the power of sin in my life. I've got to be the one to climb the mountain and overcome the obstacle and to get the thing done so that I can feel whole and I can be delivered and I can walk in freedom. When that is our aim, here's what happens. It drives us into deeper and deeper slavery and only leads to greater and greater failure because we don't have the power in and of ourselves to break the chains of sin and death and overthrow the enemy. He is much greater than us. So no matter how religious you are, you are never going to do enough religious things. You are never going to worship enough, give enough, go enough, do enough to make yourself right with God. No matter what you're trying to do and accomplish in this world to find hope and, and, and satisfaction and purpose, there's nothing you can build, acquire, possess, uh, obtain, no status of position you could ever arrive at that will ever be able to do in your heart what you're hoping it will do. It will only lead you to greater failure and struggle. You are powerless. Listen, God alone is the source of spiritual freedom. He alone is the hope of our life. We are incapable of part of, from God's supernatural power to overcome the enemy. Listen, far too often we fail and we struggle on our own. Listen, we fail to recognize. Listen to this. This words that God is speaking to the people of Israel here in captivity, he wants you and I to hear. He wants us to know this morning in the room that I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I am the Lord. I will bring you into. I will give. I am the Lord. For some of you, you're like, man, I want my marriage better, and I want this sin habit to be over, and I want wholeness in my life, and I want to be free from the struggles that I'm in. And here is God's message to you. I am the Lord, I will do those things for you, but you've got to trust in me. Because it comes by my power, not yours. This is so important. You know, think about this just in a practical way. Oftentimes we fight against the very deliverance that we're praying for. Because we're trying in our own, own self. So when, like, like they teach you when you're a lifeguard, you know, when you, one of the greatest dangers of being a lifeguard is, is when you go to rescue someone, they fight against the one that came to save them. They're kicking and they're fighting the water and the waves and all of a sudden you come in and now they're grabbing and tugging and pulling and trying all in their own effort to deliver themselves from the circumstances and not really having a clear enough mind to say the one that can rescue me is here and I need to surrender to them and let them do for me what I can't do for myself. And what happens oftentimes, drowned victims drown while fighting the very deliverance that they need. And I think we do this as well. God is saying, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll be for you. I, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will give you deliverance. I'm going to be the power that you're looking for. But you've got to stop trying in and of yourself and you've got to rest in the one who came to rescue you. Which leads me to the second truth. The second truth is powerful, and we don't need to miss this because this is really where we find the freedom that we're looking for. Listen, number two is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. God doesn't just deliver us from something, but to someone. When it comes to spiritual deliverance, we understand that God doesn't want to just deliver us from something, but rather to someone. Look what happens again in verses 6 through 8. I love this. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now notice what's happening here. God is saying, I see your conditions. I know you're living in slavery. I know you're living in bondage, and I'm going to pull you out of that. I see your circumstances, and I'm going to bring you out of this something, out of the circumstances, out of the thing that you're in. So I'm going to bring you out from that, but he doesn't leave them there. Listen to what he says next. I love this. He says, in verse number 7, he says, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Listen to this, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. Do you hear what's happening here? God is saying to the people, look, I know where you are, and I'm going to deliver you out of it. I'm going to take you away out of that something that you're in, but I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm bringing you out of something and to someone. And the, and the result of this is not just them being delivered from Egypt, but rather becoming the children of God. I'm not just going to get you out of slavery. I'm going to make you mine. 
He doesn't just rescue us from something, but rather to someone. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, and you're going to walk with me, and you're going to know me, and you're going to find satisfaction in me. If, if you go back and read chapter 5, when Moses originally goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, you got a message from the great I am, Yahweh, the living God of Israel? He says to let the people go, and this is what he says. He says, let them go so that they may go and make sacrifices to me in the wilderness. So he was delivering them from something to someone. In other words, what he was saying is, I want them free so that they can come and worship me. I want them out of the captivity, not just to be out of captivity, but to be out of captivity so they can get to be in a place where they can know me and walk with me and worship me. You see, here is what we've got to understand. God knows what we need. In the brokenness of this world, God's solution for the brokenness of the world, guess what? It's him. He is what the world needs. Not just deliverance from things, but deliverance found in someone. And here's where I think the failure of, and I'll just kind of use us as, as kind of East Texas Christianity. Many of us want deliverance, but we don't want the deliverer. We want healing, but we don't want the healer. And, and somewhere along the way, we've turned the, the gospel into that thing that gets us out of the thing, but rather than the thing that gets us to the someone. And so here's what we do. God, changed the circumstances of my life. God, I want to overcome this habit. God, these things are destroying my marriage. God, these, these issues right here, I just need them to go away. And somewhere along the way, we think that if we could just get out of the circumstances, that our life would be better, only to get out of the circumstances and to find that I'm not going to find out of those circumstances what I was lacking in those circumstances because what I need is not just out of something, but I need someone. And so what we've done in American Christianity is we've, that, for many of us, that, that big thing is hell. So I want to escape hell. But the gospel was never intended to be your get out of hell free card. The gospel is the means by which you enter back into the relationship you were created for. So listen, <laughs> if you get deliverance, void of devotion to the deliverer, you're going to find just as much devastation there as you were in whatever you were in. Because what the heart is longing for is not just to get out of whatever it is you're in, but it's to find in Jesus what your heart is longing for. In essence, what God is saying, your, your greatest need is not to be out from under Pharaoh's bondage. Your greatest need is to be in relationship with me. And if we so miss this, we so miss this. It's, it's, it's like this. How many of you would say you... Uh, how many of you are, are, are Amazon shoppers for Christmas? Most of your gifts are from Amazon. Some of you are old school and you're like, I'm going to the store and I'm fighting it. Yeah, and if you were in Longview yesterday, it was a nightmare. I didn't go. My wife told me about it. All right, I just, I wasn't going to do it. Now, I am more traditionalist. I would much rather go fight the crowds and shop than do Amazon, but we do kind of a mixture of both in our house. But here's what's amazing. If you're like me, though, when you order something on Amazon Prime, one of the things that I do, I'm a big tracker type of guy. Like, I love tracking the gift or the package once you order it. Anybody do that? Like, like you know, I'm about, you ordered it, and like five minutes later, you're ticked because you're like, it hadn't even left yet. Like, what are they waiting on? And you're like a month before because you're like, it's not going to get here. And now you're panicking. And so about every hour, you're looking, where is it now? Where is it now? And you're just so frustrated because it's like you're, it's not where you want it to be. Now, here's the thing about the tracking. Here's what I've discovered about my heart, and I think you'll dis discover is I'm a very impatient person. And I want it here now. And here is my focus. Check this out. I am not as interested in the departure as I am the arrival. I'm not as interested in the departure as I am the destination. So when I open up the little app to see the tracker, I really don't care that it was in, uh, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan or wherever, and it left a dock there, and then it went to Detroit for a couple of hours, and then from there it went to, I'm not as interested in that. I'm, I'm looking, and I'm saying, okay, it left wherever Michigan, and I, but it's in Texarkana, Arkansas right now, which means tomorrow I should get it because my focus is not where it came from, but where it's going to. Far too often in our Christian life, we put our focus on just the departure. And don't give enough attention to the destination, to the arrival. 
So we think, if I can just get this fixed, if I can just get out of this, if I could just get this financial thing overcome, if I could just beat this circumstances, overcome this sin, then all, and so all of our life we're focusing on the departure. And what we fail to recognize that what we need is not just the departure, it's the arrival. It's, it's being delivered into a relationship with Jesus. And this is what God wants his people to see. It's not about where you're leaving. It's about where you're going. Because where you're going is what you need, not just getting out of where you are. And this is where our mind has to shift. So God promises this, but here's the question. How is he going to deliver them? And I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to find out. Flip over, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. A lot happens between Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 12, uh, namely nine plagues. God sends plagues into Egypt as a sign of his power that Pharaoh is dealing with the one true and living God. And really, it wasn't just for Pharaoh. I believe the signs were more for the people of, of, of Israel, the Hebrew people, than it was for the Egyptians. He wants them to know your God is a God of all power, and he's going to defeat the enemy. And so over and over and over again, he displays his power, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses to let them go until we get to chapter 12. In chapter 12, we see the deliverance. We see the 10th the and final plague. I can't read the whole chapter. Let's just jump in midway through, and we'll fill in the gaps there. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go outside of the door of this house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees, check this out, the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord, his judgment, will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Now, this is how the deliverance goes down. This is how he's going to finally break the back of Pharaoh and break the chains of bondage and free his people. And so, and I'm going to kind of give you the bits and pieces throughout chapter 12. He tells the people, here's what's going to happen. Judgment is coming to Egypt. My judgment, my angel's going to pass over and he is going to usher in my judgment uh, for the sin of everyone in Egypt. When I say everyone, everyone, including the Hebrew people. God is judging them because of their sin and there's not one innocent person in Egypt, including the slaves, his people. And so here's what he says, my, my judgment's coming, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make a way for there to be another that dies in your place. There's going to be a substitute sacrifice. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the perfect spotless lamb. I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to put it on the lintel and on the doorpost of your home. I want it to cover the outside of your house, and then I want you to get in under the blood into the house, and then I want you to roast the animal, and I want you to consume all of the lamb. I want you to eat every bit of it. Come, go in and fellowship and feast on the sacrifice with your home covered by the blood of the lamb, and when my judge passes over, I will see the blood on the doorpost of your home and I will know that you have been atoned for and my judgment will pass over you. Like I could stop there and you know where this thing is going, right? How many of you are about to get excited? Like, like, like this fires me up. So, so this, this is how it goes down. And then the death angel comes and we know the story that everyone whose home was covered by the blood of the lamb while chaos was abounding outside the house, there was peace inside the house because they were covered because their sins were atoned for and the judgment of God passed over them. But on those whose house was not covered by the blood, the judgment of God fell on them and there was great wailing and mourning and great loss because of the devastation of God's judgment. I want you to see what happens here. This is where the moment of deliverance comes. Verse 29, and Pharaoh rose. So after this happened, Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt and there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said and take your flock and your herds as you have said and be gone. I love that. That's utter defeat right there. And to add insult to injury, Moses says, hey, on the way out, we need some gold and silver and some animals. And he says, okay, have anything you want. And the scripture says that the land of Egypt was plundered by his people. 
He didn't just defeat them. He devastated them. He obliterated the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb that atoned the sin, that set his people free. And church family, this is our story. Jesus is the greater deliverer who has ushered in a greater deliverance. You see, the whole story of the Exodus points to the greater story of Jesus, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the arrival of the deliverer who has come to set us free. Zechariah, he's a New Testament character. He is the father of John the Baptist. He was a great prophet of God, a priest. This is what he wrote when he heard the news about the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Listen to what Zechariah says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved or redeemed or rescued from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to his father Abraham to grant us that we being, what's the word there? delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zechariah knew that in Christ the greater deliverer had come. You see, the greater enemy of humanity is the evil one. Ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, humanity has been under the domain and the influence of what was called in the scripture the dominion of darkness the evil one covering the prince of the pallies of the of the air that he was as at work in in the, the lives of those who are unbelievers and that he is uh, holding all of us captive apart from Christ and the two weapons of this enemy that holds us captive is sin and its death sin controls us it dominates us and the rages of our sin the consequences of our sin is death and so therefore this this dominion of darkness holds us captive with two weapons sin and death and Jesus the great deliverer came in to set the captive free how does he do this through his own death and resurrection and this is what i love about the cross check this out on the cross of Jesus, the righteousness that God demands and the judgment that we deserve met and were completely fulfilled. You see, God demands perfect righteousness. He demands that we stand before him holy without spot or blemish. This is why when he said, choose a Passover lamb, he says, hey, I want you to choose a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb. Why? Because that lamb is going to represent a greater sacrifice who is to come. And I want you to remember that I demand righteousness and holiness, and I will accept nothing less than that. And none of us in this place have met the demands of righteousness, but Jesus did. And then you have the judgment that we deserve, the consequences of our lack of righteousness is that we deserve God's wrath being poured upon us for eternity to die for our sins. And in the cross, here's what you find, the righteousness of God fulfilled in Christ and the judgment that we deserved also being fulfilled in Christ so that the judgment by, might be removed from us and the righteousness might be given to us. And in this, this is what Paul would say, death was conquered. The grave was swallowed up in victory. That Paul would say this in Colossians, that, 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 that now Jesus has disarmed the ruler and authority of this world, that he nailed our sins to the cross. Therefore, he put him to open shame, that through the resurrection of Christ, the, the, the sin was paid for, death was conquered. Therefore, in him, we have been forgiven. We have been set free. We are no longer bound as captives because of the enemy. We have been set free because of our king. So this is what Paul says in, in Colossians. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Don't miss this. He says, in verse 13, he says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Another word for redemption is deliverance, to be purchased out of slavery, the forgiveness of our sins. He has delivered us from the domain, and listen, and transferred us into the kingdom. I told you, remember the big two, two truths that we saw at the very beginning of this? What were they? The first one was this. God is the source 
of spiritual freedom. This is why Paul emphatically says, and he has transferred us or redeemed us or delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has done this. This is not a work we have done. It's a work he has done, that we have not relieved ourselves, freed ourselves, rescued ourselves, but rather Jesus and Jesus alone is our deliverance. He has rescued us from the domain of, 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 of darkness. Listen to this, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is number two. God doesn't just deliver us from something but to someone so not only has Jesus freed us from the domain of darkness he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son into relationship church family listen to me don't miss what this means for you and for me you are no longer a slave to the enemy you're no longer under the rule on the tyranny of the evil one you have been set free you're no longer captive to sin and death you are sons and daughters of the king you have been transferred from one dominion into a kingdom that is never ending and your king paid the price for you you are now relationship with jesus your older brother which means you are sons and daughters of the most high God. You are no longer slaves. You are purchased. You are bought with a price and therefore you are free. This is who you are in Christ. Now I would think in a place where people were sanctified and saved and growing in Christ, there might be a little better response than, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like that's good news to me. Here's what, I th here's what I think. Here's, here's why I think this is my speculation. This is why I think maybe your response is what it is. Pastor, I get that. I just feel like one big defeat after another. And if I've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, then why in the world does sin still whip my tail? Why in the world do I still feel like my marriage is struggling? Why in the world do I still feel like there's just something in my life that's, like I, I, I do good for a while, then all of a sudden there's these things, and all of a sudden it seems like I go back to those old ways of life. Maybe the reason we don't get as excited about being free is because we don't live as free people. You see, I think so, so many of us, we live as freed slaves rather than freed sons and daughters. And we still live our life with a slavery mentality. This is the same thing Israel did. This is the same way they lived. I mean, if you look at the, the story, Exodus, it's like they get delivered. I mean, God, I mean, blood on the doorpost of the house, death angel fly over, plunder the place, you're out. You would think, man, freedom. They're you know, it's Braveheart declaration here. But that's not really the story, is it? Let me, let me show you a couple of places where you see the slavery mentality that they lived with that oftentimes we live with as well. You don't even get to chapter 14 before you see it. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, no, 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 go get them, go kill them. And so now you have the people, they travel, there's this great big body of water, there's a great big bad enemy coming after them, and all of a sudden the slavery mentality kicks in. This is what their response was. They said to Moses, it is, because there is, is it because there is no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? I'm like, the question is, is there not enough cemeteries in Egypt? Did he really have to bring us out here so that we can die out here in the wilderness? They go on to say, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Think about this. For 400 years, they moaned and groaned and whined about being in slavery. They've been out 10 minutes and they wish they could go back. That's a slavery mentality. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. That way we, we may serve the Egyptians. We're just going to stay in our slavery because the thought of freedom scares us to death. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Man, that is slavery mentality if I've ever seen it. It's not over. Chapter 16, they get hungry. They get hungry. Now, I love this. Check this out. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Now, you talk about slavery mentality. They're sitting here going, I wish we were still by the meat pots in Egypt. That didn't even sound good to me. I'll be honest with you. 
There's no, you know for decades they're sitting there by the meat pots complaining. I wish I had a real meal. I wish we didn't eat like slaves. I wish we didn't eat the things that we have to eat. We're filling our belly with nonsense, building this place, and they're living like kings. And here we are eating like slaves. And for decades they're complaining about the meat pots. They get a little hungry in the wilderness as freed people, and now they have a slavery mentality saying, I just want to go back and eat what I used to eat. I just want to go back to the way it was. Not over, they get to chapter 17, they get thirsty. So if you're hungry, you got to get thirsty, right? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Like, I don't know about you, God is much more patient than me. I'd have been like, you're done. Like, I'll go get Pharaoh and make him my people. I'm not dealing with you. This is nonsense. Slavery mentality. I wish it was over, but it's not over. Numbers chapter 14. Now we get down the road. They're in the brink of the promised land. Remember, I'm taking you out of somewhere to someone and eventually to some place, the promised land that I told you I would give you. They're on the brink of the promised land. They're ready to walk in and take possession of the inheritance that God had promised them for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the 12 spies went. Ten of them, you know the song, they, they were bad. Two were? They were good. Some of you went to good vacation Bible schools growing up. And what did they do? We're not going. Why? Because they think like slaves. Listen to what they say. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They, listen, they're finally there. They're finally at this place, and they're weeping and crying, and they're angry, and they're mad. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. My little conjecture is, I don't think these men were worried about wives and children. I think they worried about themselves. I'm worried about the kids. No, you're not. Coward. Listen to this. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's slavery mentality. They're free. But they're free people living as slaves, not free people living as sons and daughters. And this is the same tendencies that we have, is it not? What do we do? We get out when things are great. Man, the Lord is really working in our life and things are good. Then all of a sudden that bump in the road comes and life gets stressful and there's a, kind of an enemy in front of us and there's fear. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We revert back to the slavery days and we start coping with life the way that we used to cope with life. There's an issue in our marriage. And so what do we do? We're going to go back and deal with our marriage the way we used to do, deal with our marriage. We're not going to live as free people loving each other in Christ. We're just going to go back to the old behavior. Hey, man, I got a crisis here. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do to overcome it. I know what I need to do. I need to drink. I need to medicate. I I need to whatever, and we revert back to the old ways of living when we were slaves rather than depending upon the power of the presence of God that is now with us, helping us live in sons and daughters. Here's, let me paint the picture for you like this. We have the three circles of evangelism. So you have God's design. This is when we lived in perfect fellowship with him, no sin, no shame, nothing. We rebelled against God by sinning. Garden of Eden, the fall happens, and now this is the world we live in. It's full of brokenness. It's a world where we, we understand we are in bondage and slavery under the domain of darkness and sin and death reigns and therefore we're trying to get out and so we try religion. Maybe if I just worship God, I can feel better. Relationships, I can marry them, date them, talk to them, know them. Things will get better. Maybe money and success is the area. Maybe I need to, to have more money, accomplish more things and, or maybe it's this. Maybe I just need to control things. So I'm going to be angry about my circumstances or I'm going to try to control everything. So either I'm out of control or I'm in control, but either way I'm trying to manage the bondage that I'm in. This is how we live apart from Jesus. And here's what happens. All of this leads to greater bondage, greater brokenness, and greater sorrow. Does it not? But the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to deliver us from this into this new domain of living where he reigns as king, where we now are subjects and sons and daughters in his kingdom, and there's a new way of life, and we're learning what it looks like to walk with him once again. But here's where the Christian life is lived. For many of us in this room, we have been delivered from here and to here, but some of the same brokenness and tendencies and issues in our life, they're still here working themselves out. And here's what we do. When stress comes, when strife comes, when struggle comes, here's, here's, we forget that we're free. And we go back to our old ways. 
We slip back in the old sin struggles. We go back to the things that used to bring us comfort. We respond the way that we used because that's how that's where we find in, in the past we found comfort. And so we go where we, we once had it. We hated it. But in this moment, what do we do? We go back to it. That's exactly what we just read. Can I tell you what the Christian life is? The Christian life is that you've been delivered from here into here. The Christian life is the process. It's the process of learning how to live in your new identity. Drawing near and near to where your destiny is, where your destination is. It's the process of you learning how to live in this new identity through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're still going to struggle with some brokenness. You're still going to struggle with some strife. There's still going to be some moments where you desire to go back to Egypt, to go back into slavery, go back to how you used to respond. But you've got to remember who you are. You don't live there anymore. You have a new domain. You have a new location. It's like this. When we moved a year ago, a year ago today, we moved into a new home. For the first six months of living in our new house, when I would leave this property after work, I would hang a right, I would drive down to Pine Tree Road, hang a left, I would take Harley Ridge to Teneryville, take a right, go into Bull Run, go to the last house on the corner, and I would I pull into the driveway sometimes, realizing this ain't your house anymore. You don't live here. And it's creepy if you show up at somebody else's house. But this is how many of us live. We just keep going back to where we used to live, how we used to behave, because we forget who we are. Listen, listen. We've got to stop focusing on where we were and who we were and give more attention to where we are, who we are, and where we're going. That's the Christian life. It's not a life that's free from temptation and struggle and the tendencies to run back into the slavery and sin. The Christian life is the real struggle where you're learning through the power of the Holy Spirit how to live in your new identity as sons and daughters and no longer slaves. That's why we have to remember. So in the, in the, in the Old Testament, whenever chapter 12 ends, it ends with this instruction. You see this in 12 and 13 that God tells his people, When you leave this place, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a ceremony once a year, and it's going to be called the Passover. And at Passover, here's what you're going to do. As my people who are no longer slaves, who have been delivered, who are now a part of of my people, you're my people, I'm your God, I want you to stop and remember. I want you to remember that you're no longer slaves. I want you to remember my deliverance. I want you to know about my grace and my power and who you are now. So once a year, I want you to stop. And I want you to commemorate what I did and remember who you are. And they called this the Passover meal, Passover feast. For decade after decade, century after century, they practiced this ceremony of remembering, remembering God's deliverance because God knew they would forget. But in God's providence and his divine sovereignty, check this out. Jesus shows up on the scene And the weekend that Jesus died on the cross as the Passover lamb was on the weekend of the Passover feast. And Jesus goes to the upper room, gathers with his disciples. And there they are, another meal, another time to remember the deliverance from Exodus into the promised land of God's people. And Jesus turns this thing on his head. Jesus does something this night, the night that he was going to be betrayed, just before he would be crucified for the sins of the world. Jesus says, I want to reveal something to you that you may not have seen. This meal called Passover was just a shadow. But I am the substance. I am the Passover lamb. And from this point forward, you don't know now, but you will in a few hours from this moment forward, my people are going to gather and they're going to remember. And so the next time you break this bread, you're not going to think about the the lamb that was slaughtered and slain uh, to free us from the power of the Egyptians. You're going to think about my body that was broken and my body that was pulled apart so that your sins might be forgiven and so that you might see the enemy of sin and death defeated once and for all. 
And when you take the cup, you're no longer going to think about the blood on the doorpost of the home where the death angel passed over. You're going to think about the blood on the cross that stood as a symbol of my covering your sins once and for all. So you're going to eat the bread and you're going to drink the cup and you're going to remember, but you're not going to be looking back at the Passover in Exodus. You're going to look at the moment where the Passover judgment of God, God's judgment passed over you because it fell on me. You're going to remember this from now on out. And so listen, we stop as a church and we remember. Why? we got to remember. we got to remember who we are, whose we are, and what Christ has done to deliver us because we are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of God, free men and women who are striving to live in this new identity. So we stop and we take the bread and we take the cup and we stop and we just think, God, this is what you have done, and this has set me free. I am no longer captive because you died for me, and I am free. So in this morning, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a few minutes. For some of you in this place, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust Jesus as your Savior. You need to recognize the bondage and the issues of your life that I've been talking about, the struggles of this life, that there's nothing you can do to change your circumstances to free you. God is the source of spiritual freedom, not you. And you need to know this morning that he wants to deliver you from something, your sin and the power of the dominion of darkness in your life. And he wants you to enter into a relationship with his beloved son. And so you repent of your sin. You confess that Jesus died for you and that he rose again. And then in him you have life and you can be born again today. We're going to have people at the front in a moment. If you want to come and talk to them about that or in your seat, give your life to Christ. But let us know if that's where you are. But this morning, that's what you need. Others of you, you need to prepare your heart to observe the Lord's Supper. Confess any known sin. Repent of anything in your life that you know is not consistent with the life that you are now called to live in Christ as one who's been freed from the tyranny of the enemy. Confess that. And then take the bread and take the cup with a clear conscience before God, remembering who you are and what Christ has done to make you that. If you're a non-believer in the room, I'm going to encourage you to observe but not participate. Watch and see. See how the bread is eaten and the cup is drank as the people of God remember who they are and know that the freedom that they are celebrating is a freedom that's available to you as well. But this is a right reserved for followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would respectfully ask you to observe and ponder what you might do with this. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray over you. And then we're going to have a moment here. We have some people here if you need prayer. And then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And we're going to remember the greater deliverance that is ours. Jesus, right now in the name that is above every name, I pray that your spirit would move, that you would convict us of sin, that we would confess. You would convict us of salvation that's needed in this room for those who are lost. And God, I pray that you will do a work in, in all of our hearts this morning as we prepare to remember the sacrifice. God, move in a mighty way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.